Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. The RV is stopping in Las Vegas, Nevada to talk to Brian Roth. Brian runs a marketing and public relations firm, but has also published articles, short stories, screenplays, and novels, including Dice Angel and Money Shot. So, Brian, welcome to The Relatable Voice. Thank you, Lucia. It's very nice to be here. Appreciate it. I'm super happy to have you here. So, Brian, living in Vegas must be exciting. I've never been there. Are you a big gambler? Actually, no. So there's a little story that goes along with that. First off, I've been here almost 40 years, which I, I can't even believe. When I first moved here, um, I had come here on vacation previously and usually played blackjack and I knew the game. and I used to win. So I thought, oh, great. I've got this job opportunity. I'm moving to Vegas and I'll supplement my income by gambling. As soon as I got here, I embarked on like a three-year losing streak. And I realized that living here is very different than visiting. So after I lost a considerable amount of money over time, I decided this isn't going to work. And either I have to move or I can't gamble anymore. And I chose the, the latter. I, I haven't really placed a bet in a very long time. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of like there's a real city here of two million people. And many of us don't ever walk into a casino anymore. In fact, when we do, it's a pain in the butt. Sometimes if we get visitors, then we have to take them around. But it's I always say it's like living across the street from Disneyland. Uh, you wouldn't want to go there every day. Right. And deal with the happiest place. No, exactly. I used to live in Orlando and while living there, I've been at the parks only once. Yes. Yeah. It, it's the same thing. We appreciate the visitors and the tourists, but we don't want to have to deal with them. Yeah, I understand what you mean. And Las Vegas, Las Vegas seems to be an inspiration to many films and books and has quite the reputation. So you can do so much in Vegas. You can even get married in an hour. So Brian, what is your favorite thing about this city? So you're right. I mean, uh, there's no city like this in the world. Not only can you get married in an hour, you can drive through a chapel, just like driving through a McDonald's or a Jack in the Box. It'll take less than an hour. And, and you're married. You don't have to get out of your car. Really? So, 
really. I, if you go downtown, there's at least one drive-through wedding chapel that I'm on. Probably my favorite thing is really the, the juxtaposition between the normal Las Vegas and the crazy tourist-oriented, out-of-control Las Vegas. And I mean, you know, you can live here and pretend that it's a, just a regular town, but then you go into a, a supermarket or a drugstore and they'll have um, slot machines and poker, video poker machines right there. And so the, the gambling is everywhere. You know, again, most of the locals learn to ignore it as best we can. I kind of like the idea that we're a 24-hour town. I'm used to that. Mm -hmm. Came here from L.A., uh, and even a big city like L.A. shuts down after 1, 2 in the morning. Here, pretty much everything is open all the time. So if you're in the mood for a snack at 3 in the morning, for whatever reason, there are plenty of places that will accommodate you. And we get used to that. I like it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of New York. Never I would, I would say, yeah. Absolutely. I saw you didn't get into writing fiction until your mid-40s. So what drew you into this world? Well, part of it is I feel like I didn't really have anything to say until my mid-40s. I'm always amazed that young people um, are able to write sometimes really good stuff. It's like, hey, they haven't lived yet, but maybe they have. But for me, maybe I'm a late bloomer. I had to, you know, pile up a lot of different experiences in my life before I felt comfortable writing about them and fictionalizing them. Um, what really happened is that I had a run of things in, in my early 40s that were, were not that great. Um, I'd had some reverses in business. Um, I wasn't really happy with my, with my job at that time. Uh, it wasn't that satisfying to me. And, and then my father passed away. And all these things, you can take them as bad news, and, and they were, but in a strange way, they re-energized me because they realized, I realized that time was short and that if I was going to start going after one of my dreams, which was to write a novel someday, I couldn't wait till I retire because there's no guarantee that's going to happen. Yeah. So instead, I just stole the time. I started getting up earlier. I started writing on weekends. Um, I had an idea for the first book that came out of a, of a classified ad in a local newspaper. And within about a year of really focusing, I had a first draft of a manuscript. So that was my first goal was just to see if I could finish something. And then uh, I took it a step at a time. And that was 20 years ago. And it was really the best move I ever made. Uh, so many good things have happened since then. Wow, that's very impressive. You wrote like how many books? Two or three books? I've actually written three novels, but I've had dozens of short stories and other things published. Um, I've tried my hand at screenplays. I didn't like it as much, but again, I wanted to see if I could do it. Um, but it was, I found it pretty restrictive. So I, I like the freedom of writing a, a novel the best. Uh, each particular type of story or venue for writing offers its own challenges. Everyone has its own pluses and minuses. And I think it's just settling into what you're comfortable with. But by the same token, you have to stretch from time to time too. Like in my in this last book that I wrote a couple of years ago, it's a Vegas ghost story called The House Always Wins. And it was based on a real house that my family and I lived in that we thought was haunted. Big old house, 
uh, here in Vegas in an older part of town. But I wrote it from the point of view of a young woman just because I wanted to see if I could do it. And I'm surrounded by young women. I've got daughters. I work with women at, the, at our uh, advertising and marketing firm. And so I thought, you know what? I'll just pay attention. I'll see how they you know, operate. I'll ask them questions. And maybe I can pull this off. Maybe I can, I can you know, make a believable, relatable character. And from what I hear from the readers, they, they feel like I was able to, to do that. It's not often we hear about residential neighborhoods in Vegas. So right. can you elaborate more on this? Oh, sure. So uh, in the uh, early 2000s, uh, my wife, who's a realtor, began buying up uh, fixer-upper homes, and we would flip them and try to make some money on it. And one of the houses was very old by Vegas standards. You'll laugh at this, but it was built in the early 50s. And it was a big 6,000 square foot house in a very bad uh, state of disrepair. We moved in as a family and remodeled the home over a period of about three years. And while we were there, we always thought that the house was haunted. Wow. Uh, never, I never saw a ghost. Uh, and it, it wasn't an evil type of a haunting, just strange things, more like a trickster kind of a spirit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you'd walk down the hall and there would be weird temperature changes, hot to cold to hot again. Uh, drawers wouldn't stay open. Doors wouldn't stay open or closed. They would almost seem like they moved on their own. Uh, my wife would say, hey, I told you to shut the door. You know, I said, oh, I did shut it, but now it's open. I'm not sure she believed me, but then you know, then she did. Um, and weird noises in the middle of the night. So you could explain it in a way by just saying, well, it's an old house. That's what old houses do. But when you're a writer and your brain works in a certain way, I thought, you know, it would be very interesting to create a book about this house and let's make it haunted and let's make the ghost um, a dead Vegas mobster because there's a ton of those guys and, and, and a few women out there. And I did a lot of research and based the mobster on a couple of classic Vegas residents from the 60s and 70s. Uh, Meyer Lansky was one. Mo Dalitz was another. And uh, so the story is that the young couple buys and moves into the house and he works at night and the wife who's pregnant um, is there alone. Uh, dealing with this with this ghost, and uh, a corrupt casino owner wants to buy the whole neighborhood and to expand his casino, and the ghost ultimately helps the young woman uh, try to keep her home, and that's the uh, the plot of of my latest book, The House Always Wins. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Weren't you afraid about living in this house? For how long did you live there? Almost three years. And I, I really wasn't because I didn't feel a presence of, of evil or bad intent. So it was just a, an inconvenience and, and sometimes just funny more than anything else. So it, it wasn't really a problem. Also, just in case, and I'd be happy to send you a book, but it's not super scary. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little more lighthearted than that. But what I really try to do in my books is capture the, the spirit of the real Las Vegas, not just mm-hmm. the tourist strip and downtown that we always hear about. But I really try to do it from a local's point of view. So there's a lot of things in the book about living here that you wouldn't necessarily uh, run across if you were just a tourist. I absolutely will be very happy to read your book, Brian. Well, thank you. And you are currently working on a sequel to your book, Dice Angel. Can you tell us quickly what this book is about? Yes. So Dice Angel came out almost 20 years ago. And um, it's based loosely on a local uh, saloon owner that I'm friends with, who's a real character. And uh, as I say, and also uh, based on a classified ad about a woman who claimed she could bring gamblers luck at dice. The book was well-received, sold a lot of copies. After 20 years, I finally came up with an idea for a sequel to the, uh, to the story. And the, uh, the main character uh, originally was about 39, and I'm going to age him till, you know, till he's almost 60, staring that right in the face. And uh, I've got a plot to go along with it, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think I can give him a slightly different perspective and than he had when he was a younger man. Mm-hmm. And where do you find inspiration for your characters? Well, as I say, there's no place else in the world like Las Vegas. So really, inspiration is all around us. And if I, you know, if you're just sitting in a coffee shop or a bar or a park and you overhear people talking, if you're really paying attention and if you're taking notes, which I do, sometimes on a napkin or a placemat or whatever, but they may say something that sparks a whole idea for a short story, for a novel, what have you. There may be just a little snippet of dialogue that is so good. Maybe it's really funny or maybe it's insightful. And you jot that down and look for a place to use it in, in, uh, in a story. So it's everywhere. Yeah, it is good. Just go for a walk and you have a lot of material. Very true. When writing your novels, do you write them in a way that they can be easily adapted into screenplays? I think they can. I mean, one of my strengths, or so I've been told, is dialogue. I really like writing dialogue and trying to make it realistic. And I think, obviously, screenplays are very dialogue heavy. 
However, I tried to adapt Dice Angel into a screenplay, and I had a hard time cutting out a lot of parts needed to be cut to get it down to about 100 minutes. And what I learned from that experience is that I think that the writer of the novel should not necessarily be the person that adapts it for the film. I think it's probably better to hand it over to somebody who is more of a craftsperson and can be more objective about cutting out the parts that don't work on the screen. As I say, I think I was too close to the source material and it was very difficult for me. So uh, I'd love to see one or more of my books as a movie. I think all of us who write novels probably secretly harbor that dream, mm -hmm. but I'm probably not the guy to do it. I think that a movie cannot describe every single moment in a book. It may make up or get rid of things. Yes. Um, you have certain tools, and you know this as a writer, at your disposal that they don't have when they adapt it to a film. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when they try to do it, like get inside the head of the character, and maybe it's a voiceover or something, it sounds kind of corny. Yeah. So, you know, you really have to show more. They always say, show, don't tell anyway. And I think that's a good rule of thumb. But, uh, you know, I just felt like the screenplay format was too... Uh, too constricting for me. I didn't, I didn't have the sense of freedom that I have when I'm writing a book. You work in marketing and advertising. So how has your business experience shaped your writing and publishing journey? Well, you know, ultimately, anything that makes it to market needs a campaign to help sell it. I mean, it, uh, you know, Uh, I'm realistic. I know that not everything I put out is going to be a, a New York Times bestseller. And that's not really the goal anyway. But you certainly want to uh, develop a following and, and, and gather as many uh, fans and loyal readers as you can. Uh, if the book just sits there and doesn't communicate with anyone, then, you know, that's, you, you, that's, that's half the battle that you've lost. So uh, the, the things I've learned about marketing and advertising, public relations over the years have very much helped me uh, market these books. But what I've learned is that there, there's no substitute for hard work. It's, it's marketing books is very much a grassroots business. And most of them get sold by doing public appearances, uh, whether it's on, on radio or TV or podcasts or in person, a lot of in person. I always say it's like running for office, except there's never an election. You just continue to, to grind it out and you go to organizations, libraries, book fairs, festivals, and all those types of things, meeting the public and selling your wares. And over time, it can make a big impact, but, uh, but it's hard. And uh, especially these days, The, unless you already are a big name and have a, a built-in following of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, of fans, uh, there's a few of those, as we know, Stephen King and you know J.K. Rowling and the woman that wrote the Fifty Shades series and you know those types of people. Uh, it's funny because they get marketing support and they don't really need it. 
but the rest of us have to do what we can and uh without throwing you know hundreds of thousands of dollars at it i mean it's again we we have to try to get the most bang for the buck uh and and the most expo- exposure without just spending a fortune yeah it's so difficult but there are things that we can do like marketing as you said luck as well yes absolutely but you also make your own luck to a certain extent so we've certainly all had good opportunities drop in our laps uh, that seem to come from nowhere but i think it's because of all the people that you meet and the connections that you make and the relationships you build over the years and then when it does happen you feel like you got lucky so uh, You know, you can't just sit around waiting for things to happen. Uh, as somebody told me once, these books don't sell themselves. I totally agree. And there is an old saying which applies. The more I practice, the luckier I get. And it's also important to get reviews from, from the readers. And I always say, just it could be a line or two. You know, it doesn't have to be an extensive review, but it does help. And nobody understands the mysterious ways of, of, of Amazon, but that's where a lot of the books get sold. And I know that if you have certain numbers of positive reviews, somehow their algorithm takes that into account. And then you can get bundled with other books that are similar to yours. Uh, and I always say it all helps a little. Everything helps a little bit. So I'm always grateful when somebody leaves a nice review. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Brian, where can our listeners find you? Well, they can find me on Amazon. They can also find me at my own website, which is brianruff.com. Last name is R-O-U-F-F. Two Fs like Frank Frank. Um, I have an author section on Facebook um, that I'm fairly active. And um, listen, I'm happy if somebody wants to email me. It's uh, B Ruff, R O U F F, at weareimagine.com, all spelled out, weareimagine.com. The name of my company is called Imagine Communications. So that's why that's in the, uh, in the email. That's awesome, Brian. And when you have the sequel of Dice Angel, please come back and I'll be here looking forward to talking with you. Anytime. This was a real pleasure, and I thank you for inviting me. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening, and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.